You're listening to Recovery, Healing, Outreach, and Awareness, a podcast about domestic violence, sponsored by Randy's House of Angels. Domestic or intimate partner violence is a complex and silent epidemic that affects millions of people worldwide. To respond to the overwhelming issues associated with domestic violence, Randy's House of Angels has produced a series of podcasts beginning in October that will bring this epidemic to the forefront of public consciousness and break the silence that often shrouds it. I'm Paul Miller, the producer of this program, and we invite you to access the podcasts by going to randyshouseofangels.org. Joining us today is Stephanie Spurgeon. Stephanie Spurgeon is the Direct Services Supervisor for the Domestic Violence Services of Cumberland and Perry Counties, an adjunct professor for Shippensburg University's Criminal Justice Department, and a member of the Cumberland County Commission for Women. She graduated from the University of Tennessee with a Master of Social Work degree in 2019. Stephanie has over 10 years of experience working with children, families, and individuals who have experienced trauma. Stephanie works for the Domestic Violence Services of Cumberland and Perry County. This organization envisions themselves as a culturally responsive organization committed to the eradication of domestic violence for all individuals. They support the empowerment of those who are experiencing domestic violence through the provision of equitable and inclusive direct services and the promotion of nonviolence through social and systems change. The organization offers services, including an emergency shelter, a 20 24-hour hotline that you can call or text at 1-800-852-2102, individual and group counseling, protection from abuse orders, medical and legal accompaniment, and children's programs, among other resources. Today's facilitator on the Randy's House of Angels podcast is Dr. Ellen Smith, M.D., Dr. Smith retired after 30 years of teaching and practicing in family medicine education in the Harrisburg area. Since she retired, she has spent a great deal of time learning about adversity and how to bounce back and become more resilient. She is very appreciative to have had the opportunity to educate thousands of people about these topics. Each training is customized for the participant, focused with many practical applications for immediate use. Her medical background helps build trust and understanding understanding during trainings. She spends a great deal of time volunteering at the Trinity Preschool of Harrisburg. Considering that there is a lot of adversity, such as poverty, racism, and other discrimination within our preschool community, there's also a great opportunity to support and build resilience. Additionally, Dr. Smith volunteers at her local church. She has also developed a tool called the Personal Resilience Planner, which takes the above concepts and provides a practical way to look at strengths, trauma responses, resilience, and how to progress in these areas over time. Welcome, folks. Today, I'm so excited to, to have Stephanie Spurgeon on our podcast She's from the Domestic Services of Cumberland Perry. And we're going to talk about am I being abused and what type of abuses can occur. And so, Stephanie, just start up with what uh, what your thoughts are. Yeah, um, I think that's an interesting question. And prior to getting into this work, I, I thought it would be an obvious one, but it was not. When I you know really got in there and was interacting with survivors, a lot of times they will come back and say, I didn't realize in the moment that I was being abused. So I think that's a good question to um, put out there and to talk about. And so what do you hear regularly from the people who say 
I didn't realize I was being abused because I could see that happening too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, I can think of conversations where I'm sitting with a survivor and they have said, I didn't know this was my first relationship. I thought it was supposed to be this way. I didn't know a different way. There's also times where, you know, family has modeled to them that relationship. So that's more of what is normal to them than, you know, mm-hmm. what we would want to see in a healthy relationship. And then we also have like the influence of the media and books and movies of what, you know, what is a relationship and what do we idolize as a perfect relationship versus what could be a healthier relationship. So, um, you know, it's definitely a conversation that I've had. And I think those are the most painful conversations, too, when you're like looking back on your relationship and seeing all the things after the fact. So um, processing through what, you know, what they know now to be a red flag or to have been a red flag in the moment. Right. And I I really um, think the idea of looking back at your relationship must be very powerful and humbling and very difficult, I would think. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Absolutely. I think you have to look at it because you don't want to repeat it. Um, a lot of times our survivors have repeated those patterns. So when they come to the place and they're able to look back on those and really um, break down what you know what happened, I think that's a healthy spot to be in. And that's part of what you all do at Domestic Violence Services of Cumberland, Perry County. Yes. So we have um, empowerment counseling, which is a lot of times when that happens. But one of the times that I think has stood out to me has been during support groups. So when you're sitting around the table with someone that has gone through the same thing and you hear them talk about something and label it as abuse and you're like, oh, wait, that happened to me, too. You know, that has sparked some of those conversations. Mm -hmm. Are there any common red flags or common things that people say, I didn't know I was abused when that type of thing? Yeah, I think a lot of obviously you know, intimate partner violence, domestic violence is about power and control. So thinking back and realizing that it was a controlling behavior, right, of, you know, no, no, I don't want you to go to work. I want you to stay home. But it's actually really keeping them from having outside connections or, um, you know, being on their own and being financially stable on their own. So things like that, I think, you know, that could, could be seen as or twisted mm-hmm. around as a positive Um, Looking back, you can see other ways. Mm -hmm. Is some of it also not having the give and take of of two partners being able to speak their opinion and be valued and be listened to, even if they don't come to the same conclusion or if they come to the same conclusion? Yeah, absolutely. I think conflict is normal in a relationship, but there, you know, it crosses the line when you can't have your own opinion and you're not allowed to express that or to think differently, and, and one person's always controlling that. Mm-hmm. Are there any questions that uh, those who say to themselves, I might be being abused, what are some questions that they might ask themselves? You know, I think it, a question that you could ask is, do I feel that I'm in an equal partnership? Do I feel like my voice is being heard and my opinion matters and that my safety is important? When I was thinking about this topic, I think I'm a generation that Googles everything. So I typed into Google, like, 
am I being abused? And there's, you know, 400 quizzes online to know, are you being abused? But they all kind of ask the same, like, you know, those same questions of like, do you feel safe in your home? Do you feel like when you're there, you're respected and that you're in a partnership with that person? So there's definitely, even if you didn't want to reach out to a service, I, you know, I think I'm not the only one that Googles everything. I think people do that. So I'm kind of, I was kind of relieved to see some things on there that were helpful. I think a lot of generations Google everything. <laughs> okay, God, it's not just me. <laughs> like, I Google everything. I don't right, know. Right, right. So let's say there's somebody in our family, in my family, your family, a family, that someone else is concerned that that person is being abused. Mm-hmm. And they would like to talk to that person. How might they go about it and how what might they stay away from doing? Sure. I think... Approaching it gently is very important, right? Um, nobody wants to have a spotlight put on them, especially when they're just trying to maybe survive day to day. So planning it, picking a private space, a time where they're not distracted and just, you know, forming that conversation. And, and you know, I always lean in with, you know, I'm concerned about you. I'm concerned that I saw this and, um not take it as like too pushy if you know I can't think of the right word right now but not too it's a it's a sensitive topic to broach so Mm -hmm. you know I would just be delicate in the wording and I you know always go with concerns of safety and I think when you care about someone it comes through and Mm -hmm. they should be able to feel that connection I hope that you know people do feel like they can have those conversations because we know life is fragile and if you don't have that conversation you don't know what could happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Are there common things or things that people should avoid saying? Like I can think of maybe the words, I know what you're feeling. Mm. Might not be accurate in almost all many cases anyways. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think any like anything that implies blame to that person or avoiding, you know, asking them, you know, I think the question we always hear is like, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you leaving? Or why aren't you, you know, telling him this? Or, you know, that's really shaming and like blaming of that person because we know even in our interactions, we see um, survivors multiple times, right? We might work with them for a little bit and then they go back to that person. We know it takes seven to 10 times to leave that relationship before they're really out. It's a cycle. And I think being knowing that going into the conversation of like, I'm laying the, the groundwork of this and it might not happen today, but it might happen two months from now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we are going to have another podcast about why aren't you leaving? So I want to just mention that because I think that's a really important topic and, and you've just mentioned it. Let's go circle back around to types of violence, mm-hmm. domestic violence. What are some, maybe mention a couple, and what do we see? What are some red flags in those? Sure. So the one everyone thinks of is the physical and, you know, being able to see bruises or marks or scratches on someone. But there's many other types of abuse, and oftentimes they're intermixed together, which makes it even more confusing. But uh, the psychological abuse of just degrading, name-calling, putting that person down, There's also, I think, stalking kind of plays into that because they're always thinking that that person is there or watching or following. It's unsettling and it's it's mentally disturbing for that person. Um, 
we have seen financial abuse in different ways, like I said before, like not allowing that person to get a job, giving them, you know, just like a small amount of money to provide for not just them, but their children as well. And then the other partner doing, you know, whatever with the money, sabotaging that person's credit was, is a big one of just taking out cards in that person's name and using their money. And, and that follows that survivor too, as they're trying to get established on their own. So that's a huge deal for someone. Um, spiritual abuse we see um, in different ways of, you know, either not allowing them to practice the religion that they want or using it in a manipulative fashion, like you're supposed to honor me and twisting that around. So mm. those are just some other ones that we see, but it, then they're, you know, mix them all together in like the perfect storm of confusion of, you know, you're manipulating and doing these other things. And then um, a lot of what we hear are gaslighting behaviors. So really making them question their own like Can sanity. Can you go, go a little deeper into that? Because that's a word that's tossed around and, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure that it means, you know, it can mean different things. And I want to know what it means from your point of view and from your, you know, what you do for work. How does that mm-hmm. play out? Yeah, it's like no matter what, it's going to be your fault, <laughs> even if it's not your fault, kind of making you question what you think is real. Um, you know, if I were to approach you and say, you made me feel this way, somehow it would get flipped back around onto me of like, I did something wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, we see that a lot. We see it even then stemming into children of like blaming the children and making them kind of be like, what's happening here? You know, it's confusing. Yeah. So there's, I've heard the words victim blaming. Can you, is that a, mm-hmm. is that the proper term? Yes. And how? What does that mean? Making that victim feel like they deserved what they the treatment that they got. Making them feel like this is because they did something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes people abusers will say it's because I uh, I was drinking and I did this, or you made me do this. Like blaming something other than it's truly a, a choice about being in control and having power over another person. So any way to not take on that responsibility is is what they'll use. Randy's House of Angels is here with an incredible annual event that makes a world of difference. Join us as we rally for a cause and create lasting impact through Randy's Race, a 5K run and walk for hope and courage. Mark your calendars for the 20th annual Randy's Race, honoring the spirit of 28-year-old Randy Lee Trimble on Saturday, May 11th, 2024 at 9 a.m. at Adams Ricky Park in Enola. Rain or shine, we stand united for hope and courage. Since its inception in 2005, Randy's race has grown each year, raising an awe-inspiring $629,000 and counting. We'll see you there. So you've used the terms power and control repeatedly, and that's part of what, that is what domestic violence is. Is there is there a buildup? Does it start, say, a healthy relationship and then it turns bad or something triggers it or any number of things? Is there is there any pattern or you mentioned cycles? Any mm-hmm. of that that we need to know about? There is. There's um, what they call the, the cycle of abuse. 
So sort of starts out in just like a, you know, the normal your, your start of your relationship, right? And then you're going to start to see tension building. So little things might happen, little arguments, something that doesn't feel right. And all the way leading up, you know, it keeps getting bigger until something, a big incident will happen. And we know that following that incident, the person's going to try to walk it back. And that's what we call the honeymoon phase. So they're really like, I'm so sorry, I'll never do this again. Here's, you know, all the things you could ever want. I'm going to buy them for you and making lots of promises until the cycle starts to repeat itself. So we know that that happens. It could happen, you know, over a period of a year. It could happen in a full day. Like the time frame is so different for Mm -hmm. each individual relationship. Okay, but there's definitely a cycle and the walk back is very significant. It sounds like, and also I think all of us have heard those stories of the walk back. And when we talk to somebody who's being abused, they'll say, but he said, but she said, and that's, I assume, frequently the walk back. It is. And that's what, you know, keeps somebody in that relationship, right? Like Mm -hmm. they're like, they'll never do it again, or they didn't mean it or this. And then you start to think, you know, you could fix that relationship, but the cycle will start again. Okay, so people have hope, even in light of all of this. And how do people move from maybe false hope or that, you know, they're told it will never happen again to real hope? What, what, are, what are options and what can people do about that? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a personal choice where eventually a person gets to the point where they're, you know, going to stop and realize that they deserve more. I hope it's through, you know, conversations and uh, maybe interactions with services or they saw something or heard a story um, But eventually, I think you get to a point where you're ready to say, like, this is too much. Mm -hmm. And like I said before, you might say that multiple times and go back. But I I do think it's just a true, like, inner choice where you're saying, like, I want to do, I want better. A lot of times if there's children involved, it's stopping the cycle from coming to their children. Mm -hmm. Or domestic violence can also be between siblings or other family members. So it's not always a... Um, husband-wife relationship or marriage relationship, you know. So just wanting to have a a healthier relationship with that person or maybe moving on in a different direction. You just said that it can be a non-intimate relationship, for instance, with siblings or such. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. We, um, We have interacted with clients where the violence is coming from, you know, mom to daughter or Uh, They're all living in the same house and it's grandma to the son or somebody in that, you know, that kind of family atmosphere. And that carries the same, you know, you want to have a loving relationship with that person. They may be doing what they had learned, but it's still at the end, it's, it's having the control over another person and keeping that power. Domestic violence, you know, is, is, happens to anyone really, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, so complicated (laughs) to to break it down. (laughs) Complicated is a great word. And I think for our listeners, that's important that it's not one, two, three, and we have an answer. It takes time. It takes feelings. It takes support. um, And just recognize it's complicated and, and, you know, that type of thing. So let's think about when there are children involved, Mm -hmm. perhaps children who are being abused, perhaps physically, sexually, emotionally, 
how how do you work with that? How do you help people with that situation? Mm-hmm. Children see so much and hear so much. You know, my own kids hear everything I don't want them to hear. So, like, they definitely hear a lot uh, no matter what. So at our agency, we work with children and we talk about healthy relationships. And I think uh, what's so important is um, – early education on what a healthy relationship is and what a red flag is and what a boundary is because you know we know the the things and the the things that you repeatedly practice and repeatedly hear are what are going to be strong in your life right so if we can start with young children and um drill into them you know this is what you what what a red flag is so that they can actually see those in the relationships and Mm -hmm. this is what it looks like to create a boundary with someone I think that is the most important thing that we do and we have you know people that go into schools and do those services we have children that come to our offices you know it's it's so important to um you know maybe they're not getting that at home or they've seen other things just to really give them another perspective. So let's th- say they're not getting it at school. Is there a place that a parent could go or a family member could go to get that information? Is that something we would look at your webpage on? Absolutely. Um, Cumberland and Perry counties, we service families in that area. If they're not in that county, they can look through the Pennsylvania Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Their website has a link to find the service provider in your county. Awesome. That's great. And if we have a parent who has children, and perhaps the children aren't being violated in any way, hopefully, but the parent is, perhaps physically, we hope that the the children wouldn't see if it was sexually, but possibly they would, or emotionally. What can the parent do to help the children? I think being honest in an age-appropriate way is, is a good way to handle things and, you know, to make a safety plan with your child. Like, if something were to happen, this is how you would get help. This is where we would all go um, to open. If you're living in an environment that could be unsafe, it's important to talk about it. And then let kids talk about their feelings. We were just, um, I was doing a kids group the other day, and we were reading this book, and it was about choices that parents make or adults make. And then the underlying theme was like, it's not your fault no matter what, right? And how important to remember, like, all of these people might be making these choices or doing these things, but none of it is your fault. Mm-hmm. And um, they really latched onto that. I thought that was really important for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I've heard that before as well. Are there certain specific questions that a parent could ask to, to just give them literally some exact words if they feel if they're very uncomfortable or they're very frightened, they might have some trouble with putting together a couple of sentences or maybe it's a grandparent. Are there any potential three or four sentences that you could say to help ask the child or the children, mm-hmm. I want your input or I want to hear what you're feeling? I think in my experience with kids, they might not want to tell me, but they will draw me anything that I ask them to draw, you know, and with great detail. <laughs> so I think, you know, giving them different options. If they don't want to talk, you know, can we draw what like a safe and happy day looks for you? Or can we draw what this looks like when you're feeling um, comfortable and when you're feeling secure? What are you doing and what, who's there? There's so many books that you can read too with little with children that talk about um, how to talk about your feelings related to um, being in a scary situation. And you know, I always tell you know validate the children like that is scary, and I would be scared too. Like let's talk about 
you know, what we can do to make sure that we're feeling safe. So validating the, the child's feelings and avoiding saying, no, you shouldn't be scared and things like that. Mm-hmm. Is that important? Definitely. Is there anything else that, that you want to talk about? I think it's just important to, if you know someone in your life that is experiencing domestic violence, to you know, be patient with that person and try to like understand that it is a cycle and people get kind of trapped in that cycle. As much as we might tell somebody you're in this cycle, like it's... It, it is a process and it is a process of, you know, like deep growth within yourself to come out on the other side. But there are people that do it and they're so happy and they're living, you know, these lives that are so much brighter than being contained and controlled by someone else. So, I, I, you know, there's so much value in standing up to that person or to saying no to a situation and, and moving on in a different direction. Mm-hmm. So there are opportunities to say no, to get out to build hope and things like that. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's wonderful. Any other um, thoughts about red flags that you want to mention? That's cir- We're circling back to the beginning, but I mean, I think that's so important because we hear repeatedly, I didn't know I was being abused. I just thought it was the way it was. This is how I was raised. And again, relationships can be slightly different from one to the other and still be healthy, but, but our there are any red flags that you want to just kind of raise up and to encourage people to think about? Yeah, I think we've all seen like those memes online where it's like, I sent my boyfriend a text and he hasn't responded 12 seconds later and, and the whole world is blowing up. You know, I think we laugh about things like that, but the, you know, that is abusive behavior to, um, you know, constantly want to know where someone is or what they're doing. And, and, you know, I said earlier, like the, you know, there's all these like unhealthy romantic stories out there that kids latch on to. Right. And so being able to identify that it, it's not okay for somebody to feel like they need to know where you are a hundred percent of the time. And uh, we see that in the stories that our survivors say, you know, they, they went to check and see if I was at this place when I said I would be there or, you know, I'm at work and they call me 10 times at work to make sure that I'm there, you know, quote unquote normal. It's not, you know, what we should be um, thinking is is a good partnership. But I think those are ones where just the stories have gotten twisted around in, in books and movies and what people are looking at and trying to uh, remember that. It's a, it's a partnership, and you have just as much of a say in that, and you also are not, you know, trapped by your location or how it should feel that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think other just, it's complicated, too, when there's, like, drug and alcohol abuse intermixed with this. So um, knowing that just because somebody has an alcohol abuse problem or is um, using drugs doesn't mean that you um, shouldn't be in a safe relationship, right? So even if you are struggling in that, you still don't deserve to be strangled, slapped, pushed. That that doesn't go hand in hand with that. Um, I remember talking to someone who was in a relationship and, and they, they were both using, one wanted to get clean, the other didn't. And that was a huge conflict and, and holding that person back. And it's okay to move on in a, in a healthier direction, right? Like you're not supposed, you don't have to stay mm-hmm. in that um, so it, it, all of these have so many layers to them that it gets really messy. And I think definitely from the outside, it could be easier to be like, oh, I don't want to get involved. or, um, But it's okay to gently nudge people, right? Like it's okay to, to be there for them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
So gently nudge, but also know that it's a cycle and they have to be ready, mm-hmm. just like in so many other places. And being non-judgmental, I would assume not putting them down, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Are there any things like healthy relationship concepts or green flags that you know are helpful for people to know? At, because if they've been in pretty much violent relationships, they might not even know. What are some things that they might either be looking for or building into their, say, a new relationship mm-hmm. or, a, or a healing relationship? Yeah, I think it's always... Um a good trial run to tell someone no and see how they react. So that's always um, something that you can you can try out with your new partner, right? Okay. Um, and you should be able to say no to someone. So healthy relationships. I had read, I think somebody's told me this multiple times, where it's not like 50-50. It's like I might only be able to have, I might be, you know, at 20% and my partner's able to pick up the difference. So like not always dividing things down the line, right? Like there's, there's give and take in a, in a relationship. And at some days, like I might be like 105, my husband's like struggling to get along, you know, so just being able to support the other person wherever they are. And um, you feel that. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like some flexibility that it's not all or all or nothing any day, any week, any month. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Is there anything else you want to tell us or maybe a short plug for your uh, organization and the organizations around that are similar to yours? Yeah. I mean, we have so many cool things happening at Domestic Violence Services at Cumberland Perry. We have multiple support groups every week, which I think is the best way to support a survivor is give them a community to belong to and to have a place to share their stories. So all of our support groups are on our website of it's dvscp.org. And, um, you know, I, I would just encourage anyone to make sure they're aware of the domestic violence agency in their county and know, like, how to get connected to that. So, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, uh, Stephanie. It's been really helpful. And folks listening, we're glad you're here and you uh, have some opportunities and some uh, choices now that um, will be helpful. And we have a lot of other information in the show notes. So, thank you. Thank you. Randy's House of Angels is sponsoring a series of podcasts that will serve as a resource to anyone impacted by domestic violence, including parents, guardians, caseworkers, health providers, advocates, teachers, trauma specialists, clinicians, and more to provide an overview of domestic violence and how to handle situations where domestic violence is present. This is a series of 10 podcasts that will include an overview in healthy relationships, the different types of abuse, supporting someone who is engaged in an unhealthy relationship, and criminal justice resources available to victims. It will also include testimony and stories from courageous survivors who are victims of domestic violence. The podcast will be released starting in October of 2023 and run through February of 2024. If you miss a podcast, it will be made available on demand on Randy's House of Angels website at randyshouseofangels.org. After you've listened to our podcast, we would love to hear from you. Your feedback is crucial for the future of our podcast programs. There is a survey available on our website at randyshouseofangels.org. You can also reference the resources that support the podcast on the website, again, at randyshouseofangels.org. 
Thank you, and we'll see you next time.